Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh, he broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York sports talk from Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. The NFL Draft is coming up on Thursday. We've been going through NFL Draft Month here on the podcast. We talk Jets, talk Giants. We'll take a little dive, a little look into both of them ahead of the draft. We talk about Daryl Slater, the star ledger. We talk about both teams, what they could be doing in the draft, some general draft storylines. I'll go that with Daryl in just a bit. Also going to do a first on the podcast, the fan form. We're going to do an NFL mock draft. We're going to do the first round of all 32 picks with Will Schneiderhan and Alan Austin. We're going to each do about 10 picks. The first two, we know what's happening, so we're not going to worry about those. We'll talk about that as well. Make sure you're locked in at the end of the show as well. The Falcon the Winter Soldier wrapped up its first season. We're going to be joined by Dandy Martini, who I broke down the premiere with six weeks ago. Bring him back for the finale. Get our thoughts on the season. What could be coming up in the world of Marvel as well. Okay, I'll start with this week's opening tip. I'll give you some storylines to watch in the NFL draft right after this. Two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip is here. NFL draft is on the table. Coming to you from Cleveland this year. Thursday, round one. Friday, rounds two and three. Saturday, four to seven. And it's going to be actually physically in Cleveland. Roger Goodell will be there. A bunch of the prospects will be there. Some will be coming over Zoom. Some fans there in attendance. This is a far cry from where we were a year ago where everything was virtual because of COVID. We had, you know, nobody in the building. Everybody was spread out across America doing it virtually. And I think I'm going to miss some of that stuff. I'm going to miss Roger Goodell calling the picks from his basement in his man cave. I'm going to miss seeing the commissioner like falling asleep in his chair and the M&Ms and all the crazy stuff was going on at people's houses. Like like what was going on at Mike Rabel's pad last year. But it's a nice step forward for normalcy. In terms of the actual draft, the top two picks I mentioned at the top of the show, they're very clear. The Jaguars taking Trevor Lawrence one. Urban Meyer has basically told you that. Barring something very freaky, he's going to go number one. The Jets are taking a quarterback at number two. Joe Douglas has said as much. We are 99% sure it's going to be Zach Wilson. Is there an outside possibility that maybe they shock us and go Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Mac Jones? Maybe. But we're going to say Lawrence is two. The intrigue starts at number three. Where the 49ers trade up, you have a bunch of draft capital. You have first-round picks each of the next three years to the Miami Dolphins to get to three because they want a quarterback long-term. They haven't really given a hint of which one. Is it Mac Jones? Is it Trey Lance? Is it Fields? We don't know. The rumors have been that it's Mac Jones. They are strong. It seems like that's the direction they want to go. It would be a big shock, but again, not sure about that. Atlanta, number four, they have a lot of options. They could take a quarterback, too, if they like the ones that are on the board. 
because they need a long-term answer in Matt Ryan. You don't know when you back to the top five to get a quarterback. But at the same time, in the NFL, where you have the rookie quarterback contract being an incentive to build a team to win, it might not be a best use resource for Atlanta. You could take an elite playmaker there. Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida, who some are saying is the best tight end prospect ever to enter the draft. You could take him, or you could trade down, get some more assets, try and retool quickly to win. You figure teams like Denver, New England, they're looking to move up to get a quarterback. You could have the Bears down at 19 and 20, Washington there too. Any of these past, top passers start falling, that's the assignment. Maybe Chicago says, you know, we got the win. Let's go get a quarterback and have him compete with Andy Dalton. Maybe Washington says, hey, you won the NFC East. Let's go get our quarterback and build around this young defense. The Giants are sitting there at number 11. And if any team's ready for a quarterback, runs the Giants because they believe they have their guy. They have a few holes. They have some top talent on the board that could slide to them. Even more so if quarterbacks start going. I think most likely they're going offensive linemen. Rashawn Slayer from Northwestern seems like a good good option because he's played left tackle in college. He could slide to the right. He could pick inside. He could have a good option to start on that line. We've heard that Dave Yellman loves Devontae Smith at receiver, so he slides. He's the pick there. You could look at edge rusher for the Giants. There are a lot of options there for 11. I think what they should do, if there's a comparable like, group of players at 11 that they could feel comfortable with, they could trade down. I know Dave Gellman hates this, and he never does this. This could be a year for them to do it. If Rashawn Slater's not there, and they don't love what's there, trade back a couple slots, get some extra picks, and then they trade some away. The Jets have another pick at 23. And that's the courtesy of the Jamal Adams trade with Seattle. You figure if they're sitting there, that's either a corner or an offensive lineman, two areas of basically ignoring free agency. One thing I think you can't rule out here is that they're going to trade this pick one way or another. If they see a guy they like who's slipping down to 16, 17, 18, they have 21 picks in this, in this draft over the next two years. Maybe you take one of those, you trade up and get the guy you want. Or if you see, you know what, at 23, there's a couple of guys who I think will still be there, a couple of picks, and somebody's calling you up and say, hey, I'll give you a two next year to move up to your slot. Take it and go down. There are options there. If they're sitting at 23 and they don't move, I assume they're going cornerback. But Joe Douglas has shown last year he's not going to be a John Edzik. He's not going to sit there and just take his picks one after another after another. He will move up and down the board depending on what he feels is the best strategy to improve his roster. And he's bread and butter as a draft, so he's shown to be he can be in tune with it. I think that is what's just going to happen there. Let's talk a little more about the locals and the draft. With Daryl Slater, the Star Ledger, right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Joining me today to break down the offseason for the locals as they get ready for the draft, Daryl Slater is here. Daryl, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks again for coming on. And I got to say, the off, the locals have had a very interesting offseason. I think the Giants more aggressive than the Jets, but the, it has been at least interesting to see what the New York football teams are up to. Yeah, certainly. I mean, in big splash, uh, a couple of big splash receiver acquisitions in free agency, Corey Davis going to the Jets, Kenny Galladay to the Giants. And so these teams doing what they can to kind of upgrade their, their offense. Obviously, the Giants splurging uh, more so than the Jets here as they try to take advantage of 
the the rookie contract window of of uh, Daniel Jones and the Jets, of course, going to be starting over at quarterback almost certainly with Zach Wilson as they hit the reset button on that uh, on that rookie contract window. Yeah, I want to start with the Giants. You brought up the two big signings they made, Kenny Galladay, Dory Jackson. They threw a lot of money out there. I mean, aside from the Patriots, they probably spent some of the biggest guarantees on contracts the offseason. Do you think those were overpays for those two guys? Oh, definitely. I mean, and that's just the nature of free agency. I think that, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, Dory Jackson is a really good player when he's healthy, but there's injury concerns there. Kenny Galladay um, coming off uh, an injury-plagued season and really has not proven it over the long haul, but if you look at where the Giants were at, I mean, they had to kind of paper over past mistakes uh, by Dave Gettleman, whether they're in the draft or free agency signings. And then that's really what free agency amounts to. You know, it's a corrective measure and one in which you have to overpay uh, if you're not able to build your team through the draft, which ideally is what most teams want to do. So obviously for Gettleman, you know, the DeAndre Baker uh, draft pick didn't work out. He has not been able to find a number two cornerback to play uh, opposite James Bradbury, who who has been a very good signing. Uh, and then, of course, the Golden Tate signing did not work out at, at receiver for the Giants. So here they are, uh, Dory Jackson, Kenny Galladay coming in for, for big money. And, um, you know, really the, the Galladay contract is obviously much more significant and, and larger, and it ties the Giants to him for a good stretch of time here, really three years. Uh, at least, and they're going to wind up paying him a lot of money one way or the other. Um, so he, he really has to play much better than he has in order to lo- in order to deliver on the on that contract. Yeah, it also feels like a lot of times that like teams like this was paying the big bucks like are in a situation where they feel like the front office has to win right now, retain their job. This is Dave Gelman's fourth year. Based on what they've been doing this offseason, do you think he feels that pressure? He has to win this year, or else he might be out of a job. I mean, he should, right? I mean, like they said last year, they were running on John Maris said last year before the season that he was kind of running out of patience, whatever, whatever. And then, you know, and then they go out and have finished six and 10 and it sort of gets masked, masked by the fact that, um, you know, they did finish strong after a really crummy start and the fact that they were in the division race because their division is bad. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, John Merrill would love for this to work with Dave Gettleman, but the bottom line is if they win six games again, I mean, that would be six and 11 with the new 17 game schedule. I don't. I just don't see any way that he should be retained. I mean, who knows at this point? They've shown a lot of patience with, with Gettleman, but you know, yeah. I mean, these are win now moves, and then you have to look at the Giants and say, are they capable of winning now and, and saving Dave Gettleman's job? And, and really, you know, that's not the motivation for the players. I mean, they they want to win, uh, period. But are they capable of of winning now? I mean, they have a lot of problems on the offensive line. They're basically going to run it back with the same offensive line as last year. That that has to be a concern. Um, you know, for, for Daniel Jones. And then Daniel Jones is in a vacuum. Like, who is he as a quarterback, right? I mean, is he actually a franchise quarterback? So ideally, yeah, you want to take advantage of your rookie quarterbacks, you know, of your quarterback's rookie contract window. I mean, the, the Eagles did it with Carson Wentz before he kind of flamed out and and got, you know, and had injury issues and performance issues. So they won a Super Bowl that way. So once the quarterback gets to be a lot more expensive, then it really hamstrings you in terms of what else you can do. At this point, the Giants are entering, what, um, 1920, 21, year three with Daniel Jones. And so they have to figure out, um, you know, in these next few years, and they have his fifth-year option too, uh, you know, what, what can they build around this guy, and is he worth building around? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a good point. Especially the offensive line. I feel like that's probably their biggest need entering the draft. Do you, what other needs do you think they have besides the line? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, as you look at it, edge rusher and uh, really the outside linebacker position for the Giants is, is a fairly significant issue. I mean, they, br- they brought back Leonard Williams as a, as a pass rushing presence. So let's see if he can do, uh, now that he got paid, what he did last year on a contract year. And he got a huge payday. You know, we mentioned Jackson and Galladay, but you know, they invested pretty heavily in Leonard Williams as well. And they almost had to at this point because after the trade and franchise tagging, and they were almost stuck to the point where they had to, they had to pay him big money. So uh, I think offensive line obviously is an issue outside of, you know, they have Andrew Thomas. They don't know what they have in him, but it's not like they're going to be starting over at left tackle just quickly. Um, and then outside linebacker, I mean, O'Shane Zimenez, Lorenzo Carter, both dealt with injuries last year. You don't really know what you have in those guys. Those are homegrown guys who you drafted. You'd love to see them if you're the Giants take that next step, but but are they ready to do that? So that's where you could look at the Giants perhaps drafting an edge rusher at 11 in this draft. They got maybe a guy like Gregory Rousseau or Jalen Phillips, both played at Miami. So, yeah, I think those are those are two big issues, one on offense there uh, on the line and one on defense at, you know, outside linebacker. Yeah, I feel like those are the two areas they could go 11. I know Rashawn Slayer's a popular pick for the Giants 11. Yeah. But do you think, I know Dave Gellman hates to trade back. Do you think there's a scenario here where the Giants could sit there and say, okay, maybe the board and shake out what we like, or there's a surplus here. We can go back at a few more picks and get a guy that we feel comfortable with at like 15 or something. Sure. because I mean, I mean, if you're looking at it logically, that's what they should think about doing because, you know, they don't have a lot of picks. <laughs> when you think about it, I mean, they gave up, uh, they gave up a third rounder and a fifth rounder for Leonard Williams. So they, they gave up a late pick for Isaac Yadam last year um, in a trade that you know, didn't work out. But again, it's just kind of a throwaway pick. So if you're rebuilding your roster, I mean, if you're the Giants and, or any rebuilding team like this, you, you want to be able to have more draft picks, not, not uh, fewer. And if you're at 11, you got to look at it and say, like you said, can I get a comparable player at 15 or 16 and then maybe pick up, well, like a, I don't know, like a fourth-round pick or something like that or whatever, whatever the comparison would be in the draft trade value chart that you'd be able to get there. So, yeah, I think that that's something they should consider. I don't know whether, you know, David Gettleman obviously goes against the grain of conventional wisdom a lot of times, and so we'll see what he does there. Yeah, I'm going to shift to the Jets for a minute, too. I think the Jet offseason has also been interesting because last year, I think he gave Joe Douglas truce here. He'd tell you he wasn't aggressive enough in free agency, and they had a bunch of Band-Aids. What do you think about year two of Joe Douglas's free agency strategy? Well, I think you have to look at it and say, you know, you know, do you trust this guy? And there's just not enough evidence one way or the other right now. He really only had one off season because he was hired after free agency in the draft in 2019. And, and his free agency signings were not great last year. You know, you look at the guys he added on the offensive line, Greg Van Rotten and, um, uh, and Connor McGovern were not very good. You look at, um, you know, Rashad Perriman was, like you said, one of those band-aid guys didn't work out. They let most notably, he left Robbie Anderson walk. Uh, and, and leave for the Panthers, and they, they should have re-signed him at that price. Douglas admits it was a mistake. So, yeah, I mean, he goes ahead and drafts or in, uh, addresses in free agency. What well, you know, typically the way teams do this is, you know, you look at your biggest kind of glaring needs and you try to address needs in free agency, and then and then maybe go best player available in the draft. And um, they go with Corey Davis. They don't want to spend holiday money. They pick. They signed Corey Davis, um, twenty-seven million up front, same same number they gave Le'Veon Bell, um, but um, they're going to need Davis to be a number one receiver. I mean, the guy's a former first-round pick, really has not lived up to it so far, uh, and he has not produced as much as Galladay, obviously, because you know, he wasn't as expensive. So, I mean, I think those those are question marks. You know, can can these guys 
deliver on potential. You look at edge rusher was a major need for the Jets. They haven't had a true dominant edge rusher since really after the 2005 season when they traded John Abraham and uh, they get Carl Lawson from the Bengals. They signed him in free agency and gave him, I think, you know, north of $30 million. So the, he was the big investment. Um, wound up eclipsing what, what Davis got. And uh, again, a guy who is young and you're paying for upside there. You're not, you're not paying for a guy with tread on the tire, which is an argument you probably could have made about Le'Veon Bell, certainly in retrospect and definitely in the moment. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the logic is sound on those picks. Now let's just see on those signings, I should say. Now let's just see if they, if they work. They're not, they're not always guaranteed to work. Yeah, they aren't. I, th- I was surprised personally that I know that two of the big needs they had really, at this point as a recording, had not really addressed so far is the interior offensive line and the cornerback spot. Are you surprised basically sat out of free agency on those two spots? The cornerback spot is a, is, is, a, is a curious one, right? I mean, I think that Joe Douglas has to be looking at this draft and saying, you know, with that second pick in the first round at number 23, um, there, there's a possibility that, that they certainly could draft a guy like J.T. Horn there if he falls. But I, and another thing to remember, don't rule out Joe Douglas maybe trading up. I mean, one one thing to remember is John Isaac in 2014, I think it was like 12 picks, and he just sat there and made all of them. You know, he didn't use them to kind of maneuver around and be aggressive and, and trade up. And Joe Douglas is armed with a lot of draft capital, and that he, it should be a situation here where he should, he should definitely consider if there's a guy at like 17 or 16 or something like that, say like Patrick Sertain is there, the cornerback from Alabama, is that played in the NFL and you really like them, um, you know, package, uh, you know, one of your extra third rounders or whatever it, it is, a fourth rounder or something, and move up and make that pick. Um, be aggressive if you think a guy can be a difference maker for you because, you know, they do have the ability to have some, you know, wiggle room here with these extra draft picks, right? You don't have to sit there and make them all. Um, and so that's where I think uh, Joe Douglas has to be, you know, has to at least think about being pretty aggressive um, with what he has in terms of draft capital. Yeah, I agree with that. And obviously, number two, we all know they're picking a quarterback. It seems like it's 99% sure it's Zach Wilson. You think it's the full lock? Do you think there is a small outside chance they go somewhere else at quarterback? Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure Sure, there's a, there is a small chance. But, you know, I think everyone sort of looks at Zach Wilson and says he's the number two guy. I don't think it's, it's not as certain. Like, Wilson as the second guy uh, over Fields or, you know, Lance or whatever is not as certain as uh, – Trevor Lawrence is being the number one guy, right? I mean, we can look back on this years from now and, and, and not even that many years from now and figure out, Hey, maybe the conventional wisdom was wrong. I mean, you look at Sam Darnold, he, for what, for various reasons has not turned out to be as good of a player as Josh Allen. You know, a lot of that has to do with the player himself. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the supporting cast. So yeah, I think, you know, it's not always right. I mean, you look at Lamar Jackson in that draft, he was drafted at the end of the first round. So, um, what we always think going into the draft isn't isn't always necessarily right. Mitch Trubisky, <laughs> guy didn't guy hasn't panned out. So, um, yeah, I think it's almost certain that the the, 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 the Jets pick Trevor Lawrence or pick uh, Zach Wilson. That would be the quote unquote safe pick. They're just well, then again, so was Darnold, right? <laughs> I mean, Darnold was a safe pick at three. I mean, it, it, most people would have looked at that and said, "Gee, it's a reach if you take Josh Allen at three. But what if they did? You know, we'll never know if if things might have turned out differently um, for the Jets over the past couple of years. Yeah, I think that pick is not even very interesting for them because you know where they're going. The twenty three you mentioned earlier, I think, is fascinating because 
they could sit put where they are and get somebody who's pretty good. They could trade up, like you mentioned. They could trade down. I mean, I feel like the, it also like the odds are against them just sitting at twenty three and picking. I feel like they're going to move one direction or another depending on what the board looks like. They could, yeah, I think they could because you know, look, it's not like they just have one area of need. I mean, I you know, I mentioned you know they did they did bring in an edge rusher on Carl Austin. He he kind of projects as a four three defensive end as they move from a three four defense to a four three under Robert Sala. They also, the Jets, do have outside linebacker uh, question marks and issues. I mean, they, they let Jordan Jenkins leave in free agency. He's a, he's more of a 3-4 of a outside linebacker, so he's gone. Um, and they need to figure out who will play next to C.J. Mosley in their linebacker group, uh, and do they have a guy who can fit there. You know, would there, you know the, the kid from Georgia, Aziz Ajulari, I guess is how you say his name, and uh, yeah, he, he's a potential uh, edge rusher prospect for them. Again, I mentioned Rousseau. I don't think Phillips will be there uh, at 23, but, you know, if Gregory Rousseau is a fascinating prospect, is, is down there. Um, you know, look, this, this, this Carl Lawson is not going to be a cure-all for their pass rush. I mean, they expect a lot of them, but um, they, they feel pretty good about their interior defensive line. Um, they bring in Sheldon Rankins. I mean, the interior defensive line, I mentioned, you know, Quinn Williams, um, of course, and they bring in Sheldon Rankins a guy who can be a situational pass rusher, um, former first-round pick from the Saints. So they have some pieces on their defensive line, um, but certainly they could afford to bolster their pass rush a bit more if they want to do that. But it, but the biggest issue is cornerback. Hey, they have to get a cornerback. Um, they really do. I mean, they have two holes there. I don't I don't see And then Brian Poole, their slot cornerback, remains a free agent. Uh, they may or may not bring him back. So, so all three of their co- cornerback spots have question marks, which is, which is a problem, obviously. Yeah, it's a big problem, and I, they're going to have to solve it in the draft. And I think the draft as a whole, I think it's going to be a very interesting draft because besides the obvious of them going back to in-person events to some degree and all that, I think like there's potential for a lot of trades in that top ten. I think that's going to be fascinating. Yeah, I, I think you already have seen a lot of movement there because teams are getting you know kind of desperate at quarterback. I mean, they're, they're more and more willing to make, you know make a quick-trigger decision on a guy like Darnold or Jimmy Garoppolo, say in San Francisco, who they just say, "Hey, he's not going to be our guy anymore." So, um, and they really the 49ers mortgage their future on moving up from 12 to three. And um, there are a lot of teams there who could continue to move. I think the Panthers at eight, and they could take a quarterback there just because they traded for Sam Darnold doesn't mean he's going to be their guy going forward. I obviously it's unlikely. Um, the Broncos maybe if a guy falls to them who's enticing because Drew Locke hasn't hasn't exactly proven himself. So um, there are some possibilities there that if a quarterback or two falls after say the first two is after the first two is when things get really interesting, right? So fields, maybe to who goes three, right? Is it Fields? Is it Lance? Um, say Lance goes three, then fields is there. Does a team make a move to four in a, in a deal with Atlanta? Does Atlanta take um, fields? Uh, so I think that that becomes the question mark because obviously you know, Matt Ryan is not the long-term solution for the Falcons. So um, that's when the draft really gets interesting at three and then certainly at four. Yeah, I think also I'm watching closely to see, like, if one of those quarterbacks ends up slipping down to, like, seven, eight, yeah. and Broncos are sitting there at nine, do you see a team like maybe New England or the Bears are watching and try and jump the Broncos to get a quarterback? I was just going to mention the Patriots, yeah, because, you know, it's not like Cam Newton is is a – is a long-term solution there. We saw that much last season. So um, the Patriots have been super aggressive this off season. Um, and I would not 
I would not rule that out. I mean, you, you look at every year there's a team that takes a quarterback and you think, you look at it like, wow, um, maybe you know, it was the Packers with Jordan Love, right? And uh, no one really saw that one coming. Um, so I, I would not rule it out. The Patriots have been in aggressive mode all off season here with free agency. And um, yeah, I think that they, if, if they can, if they can put together a package to move up, um, then I, I would not rule that out. If, if they like Fields, you know, I think, or if they like Lance, but, um, you know, Mac Jones, don't forget about him, the kid from Alabama. So ultimately, I think all of those quarterbacks wind up going in the first round at some point. It's just a matter of, of where. And if you look at the NFL at this point, probably you want like half the teams at least have either major or somewhat major question marks at quarterback and, and whether that's their, their incumbent getting older and moving on or what. Um, and the Lions, of course, you know, they, they, they traded for Jared Goff, but it's not like they, it's like the same thing with, uh, Darnold. They don't know if, if he's going to be their answer long term. So they have to keep their options open as well. I think they're at the good seven. So, um, a lot of, a lot of things to consider. Yeah. I think also if there's a big run on quarterbacks early, it benefits both the locals because that pushes some of the higher end talent a little further down the board, making more sense. Especially the Giants in 11. I think they're praying for like a run of like at least four or five quarterbacks in that top 10 so they can get more options at 11. Certainly a receiver will be one of those if they if they want to go with like Jalen Waddle. Uh, now to this point with them signing Galladay, I don't know if they would pick a receiver there. And then again, you know, you don't know Darius Slayton um, remains unproven over the long haul. Didn't really take the next step last year. Um, Sterling Shepard, he kind of is what he is at this point. Um, but yeah, I think the Giants would, would love to see a guy fall to them at uh, 11. Um who maybe uh, otherwise wouldn't, for sure. All right, Darren, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people find on social media keep up with your coverage of the Star-Ledger? Yeah, so uh, we're at uh, mj.com slash Jets and mj.com slash Giants, and then uh, at Daryl Slater on Twitter, D-A-R-R-Y-L-S-L-A-T-E-R. So appreciate everyone reading, and uh, thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks again for taking the time. I appreciate it. No problem. What's up, everybody? Mike Phillips here, getting you ready for our mock draft segment on the podcast. You can join me by Will Schneiderhan and Alan Austin. I want to throw a little disclaimer up here because we recorded this podcast on Thursday, April 22nd. Literally the day after we recorded it, the Kansas City Chiefs made a trade with the Baltimore Ravens. They picked up all-pro offensive tackle Orlando Brown. They gave up their first-round pick to the Ravens. They got some other stuff back here. So I'm thinking for the Chiefs in this mock based on the time of recording, but... The pick will basically translate to the Ravens because it's going to fill the same exact need. I'm not spoiling any further. Until then, enjoy the first ever Just End the Suffering mock draft in the fan forum. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. This is the fan forum. All right, we are back here in the fan forum for the first time in a while. We are doing something brand new on the podcast. I think it's not been attempted yet. We're going to do a full mock draft of the first round of the NFL draft on Thursday. We are recording it one week to the day. So this could be very outdated by the time the draft starts in case there's more trades and whatnot. But we're going to have some fun here, make some picks, see how right or wrong we are. Join me today. First off, the unofficial host of this podcast, the host of the Green Skies podcast. He's been a little bit of a hiatus. Will Schneiderhan is here. Will, how are you? I'm good. Good, Mike. Yeah. Excited for some NFL draft. Yeah, I'm excited, too. We have a lot of fun. Also, it would be the guy who suggested that we do this on the podcast. I want to include him in the mix here. 
The great Alan Austin is here. Alan, how are you? Mike, I'm well. Thank you. How are you, sir? Doing good. I want to thank you for this idea. This is a lot of fun. I was thinking about it. I'm like, this is a very interesting concept to do for this podcast. To sort of take a different direction. Because usually I have like the expert on the NFL, like all the prospects. The audience didn't seem to love that one so much. So I figured let's try to do a little local spin first and then we'll do a mock draft and see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, it's always fun to do mocks. And at this point in the game with a week before, I feel like, you know, you're all mocked out. So to just have fun with it and, you know, maybe take a chance here and there, it'll be a little more entertaining. Okay, so here's how this is going to work for the audience at home here. So we know who number one, number two are. We will go through those in just a minute just because we're not going to waste our time debating those picks. Everybody knows what they're going to be, barring something very freaky here. We, the three of us have split up the other 30 picks in the round. We each are doing 10. We are not going to make trades because this is a audio medium. And even if you're watching the Zoom, it'll be complicated to say, oh, the Falcons are trading here with all these future picks involved. The order we're going with is the order that we are starting a draft with. So we will let you know if we think a pick could be trade, trade bait. But for now, we're going to assume everyone stays put, which will not happen. Am I right, Will? Yeah, because I, I tell you, I don't even know how they I, – I, I even when those trades are made, I don't fully understand all the picks that are involved. And they're <laughs> right in front of Ace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so everybody's going to make their picks, give a little explanation. I'm going to ring everybody in here with the NFL draft sound. So when the pick is in, we will let everybody know that. And we're going to start off here. Pick number one, obviously, the Jaguars taking Trevor Lawrence. Pick number two, the New York Jets take Zach Wilson. Those are off the board here, those are very obvious. Allen is up first. He is picking third for the San Francisco 49ers. Alan, let's see who is they are going with. With the third pick in the draft, the San Francisco 49ers select Justin Fields, quarterback, Ohio State. That's an interesting choice there. I know they're going quarterback. Why did you settle on Fields? I just don't see it with Mac Jones, you know, and, and even if people do believe in him, to use a number three overall pick on him seems highly irregular. I think the fields medical reports aren't as bad, and I think the 49ers are throwing out false info so that no one tries to maybe leapfrog them with the Jets or try something crazy. I don't know. I just think it's a lot of misinformation purposely be put out, being put out there by San Francisco. I think if fields checks out medically, which I think he will – I think I think he's the guy. I, I just don't see how you could take Mac Jones over Justin Fields personally. All right, Will. At, at what do you think they're going to do at number three? Because I feel like they we know it's like a quarterback. Which one do you think? Do you agree with Allen there on Fields? I mean, it's a fifty-fifty. So I guess it really like Allen gave a great um, you know argument as to why they would do it. I do. I, something feels a little like uh, I don't know. Mac Jones at three does feel a little like bold doesn't it so i feel like like you said if, if if it's close in the determination between the two i feel like you would have to go with justin fields the only other thing i could think of is like a dave gettleman situation where he falls for stuff so maybe the 49ers fell for fake mac jones like gushing reports so they thought oh maybe we have to jump up to three to get him but i don't think jones was worth a six and i certainly don't think this jones is worth a three so <laughs> Yeah, the thing about Justin Fields, I'm not sure I agree with that take, is just because the 49ers, they had not seen his pro day yet when they made that trade, which to me, when you look at that, that's like they saw one of the other two guys, either just or either Trey Lance or Mac Jones, said, we have to get that, guys. And they know what the Jets are going to do, it too. So I think it's one of the other two. I do not agree with that take on Fields, but that's just me. 
I also am drafting as if I were the GM for the Niners. That's fair. So I would take Fields over the uh, any of the others, honestly. Okay. So that's in there on the board. Number four, I am picking for the Atlanta Falcons here. This is a pick. They could easily trade this pick. They have a quarterback. They extended Matt Ryan's money out to say, okay, here we go. We can, you know, get up prices in cap room. We got a couple more years of him. They want to shop this pick for whatever quarterback left on the board, whether it's Fields, Lance, Jones. Somebody wants to come up there and get it. They can get the pick. But since we're not doing trades, I think they're going to stay put here. With the fourth pick in the NFL draft, the 2021 NFL draft, the Atlanta Falcons are selecting tight end Kyle Pitts out of Florida. I think this is simple marriage of need with the best prospect on the board is not a quarterback. Give Matt Ryan a big weapon on that offense. They try and catch the Bucs in the South. Kyle Pitts to the Atlanta Falcons. I almost think they don't, they shouldn't trade the pick and they should go take pits. That's kind of like where I'm feeling. If I'm a Falcons fan, unless I get offered a King's ransom where I can like really, really benefit from trading it. I want pits on my team. Yeah. Partnering with those guys, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. I mean, God, they wouldn't play too much defense, but man, they could try score. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly can. And we're going up to number five. Now the Cincinnati Bengals, Will Schneider hands on the clock. Feel like the choice of them is either do we protect yeah. Joe Burrow or we get a pass catcher. So with the fifth overall pick, who are the Bengals taking? Will? So I obviously, I actually do think they might trade back, but it's obvious. You got to go get Penny Sewell. Like there's just, it, you can't pass on that. In my opinion, we just saw the Sam Darnold, you know, show unfold in front of our eyes as Jets fans. So go get a, as Dave Gettleman would call it, a hog molly and just protect this guy for the next 10 years. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the thing with them is I've been seeing more. I mean, they did sign Riley from free agency. I think the temptation could be there to take Jamar Chase and reunite him with Joe Burrow. But I would also agree. I would take Sewell if I was in the room. Just, I just think it's the you can get receivers every year. I just think offensive linemen like him just that's you can't pass up on that, especially tackles. Yeah, that is tr- that is true. I completely agree. I saw some reports that people are worried about Sewell's uh, footwork in the NFL or some nonsense. Look, when you're that high a prospect, you're nitpicking at that point. Like you got to get the talent in the room. And honestly, if he pans out, it could be. Trevor Lawrence level once in a lifetime prospect status if he pans out the way he should. All right, absolutely. Let's go to the next pick here, number six. This pick originally belonged to the Philadelphia Eagles. They trade to the Miami Dobbs, who jumped back from three to twelve, then went up from twelve to six, using some capital to go back up there. Allen, who are they taking at number six? With the number six selection, the Miami Dolphins select Jalen Waddle, wide receiver, Alabama. Why do, you, why do you think they take Waddle over the other two pass catchers? The reason I chose Waddle over the other two is because I believe his skill set's probably a little bit more versatile than the other two. He could play slot. He could go wherever you need him. And for a guy like Tua, who needs as many bailout opportunities as possible, I think you're going to want Waddle being the guy, maybe in the slot, maybe you know streaking, doing whatever he can to get open more so than the others can. And, of course, the Alabama connection. So I think they're going to pick the guy who can help Tua get out of the most jams athletically, and that's Jalen Waddle. Yeah, I think also with that pick, I think the interesting thing there is obviously the connection with Tua and play together at Alabama. Plus, like, they, the NFL, you all you hear is, like, we want the next Tyreek Hill. We want the next V guy. And he's got a lot of those comparisons. So I think that's a pick where you can say, you know, 
being be our Tyreek Hill this offense. I really think that Tua needs that kind of bailout player. If he's going to succeed in this league, and believe it or not, I think his 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 rope is getting shorter and shorter seemingly because I don't think a lot of people were impressed with him so far. So they need to give him somebody who can find an open, you know, find open field anywhere at any time. And I think he's probably the best option of those three. I would agree with that. I'm up now. Pick number seven, Detroit Lions are on the board. They had the big offseason trade earlier. They they trade for Matthew Stafford, got two future first round picks from the trade trade that staff to the Rams, got two future first round picks and Jared Goff back. They could take a quarterback here. They could trade back. I think they're going to stay put here because I think they like how the war is shaking out in this mock. So at the seventh pick in the 2021 NFL draft, Detroit Lions selecting Jamar Chase wide out from LSU. Get your Kenny Galladay replacement. Get a go-to guy for Jared Goff. Jalen, I mean, Jamar Chase to the Lions. No problem with it. I think, I feel like ever since we were born, Mike, we're both in our early 30s. Will, I'm not sure how old you are, but I think every year of our lives, the Lions have drafted a wide receiver in the first (laughs) round of the NFL draft. I don't think they've ever gone away from that. But again, this is an elite class of wide receivers. I think this is the wide receiver draft, and there's three that, you know, maybe four that are head and shoulders above the rest. So you can't go wrong. If I was the Lions, though, I would have personally not taken the wide out here. I would have taken Christian Darasaw. I think if anything, Jared Goff needs is as much protection as possible. The Lions have not been known for their offensive line. I would have tried to get him because Darasaw could, could move around the line a little bit. That's where I would have went, but there's no quarrels here from me on taking chase. Indeed. And Will is up now. He's picking number eight for the Carolina Panthers. We just trade for Sam Darnold. So does that take them out of the quarterback mix? Do they still take one? Will, what are the Panthers doing at number eight? Yeah, so this one was tough because it was that. Do they go with the receiver? Do they get the lineman? But again, I'm sticking with the same theme that I went with with the Cincinnati's pick. I think they're going to pick Rashawn Slater here. I know it's probably a little bit of a stretch. I know he's kind of falling into that. It seems like Slater's ranked, you know, in that middle round kind of an area. But this is a guy that it kind of seems like he's a little positionless right now. You don't know if he's going to play inside, if he's going to play outside. But that is a, in my opinion, that's a good decision to make. Like he's either, this guy projects to either be a really good tackle or a really good guard. So again, get the offensive line talent when you can. That is my method all the time. Because you might think, oh, we could pass it up and address it in free agency, which seems to never work. We'll get another, maybe we'll, pick another one later on the draft, which doesn't always pan out, get him while you can. And, you know, give Sam Darnold something that he's probably been looking for since he was at USC with some protection. <laughs> yeah. I think personally, I think that's a good pick. I like the Rashawn Slayer move and they can stick him right left tackle, give him a shot there because they have Taylor Moten, the right size, a very good player. You get book and tackle to Sam Darnold. He's probably never, he's never had that in his life with the jets. He would be a very happy man. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> All right, we are up to pick number nine now. Allen is back on the board. He is picking for the Denver Broncos. They could be a quarterback contender here. Drew Locke is on, still on the roster. No competition brought in for him. They could be trading with Teddy Bridgewater. They could trade down. They could take some needs. Allen, what are the Broncos doing at number nine? The number nine selection, the Denver Broncos are taking Micah Parsons, linebacker, Penn State. Interesting. Why? Micah Parsons is not quarterback because I think they want to give Drew Locke another year. 
I think John Elway is the type of guy who will rather go get someone established after the Drew Locke experiment and pay for a free agent. I also think that defense needs to do what they can to shut down two offensive juggernauts in that division. So the way to survive in that division is going to be defense, defense, defense. And Michael Parsons has a little versatility. I know his stock dropped from some questionable character reports, but I think those reports are questionable within themselves. I think he's fast. I think he's quick. I think his stock's rising back up a little bit. And I think the Broncos will see him to be a campus prospect at number nine in this draft. Well, if you, if you were the Broncos right here, I know you Allen picked for them. If you were on the board, would you have taken a quarterback? Would you have gone with Parsons? I do. I do actually side a lot with Allen's method where it's like, do you really like, so we're saying Trey Lance is probably like the guy or a Mac Jones. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think what we're going to see a lot this year, and I, I actually feel like we've seen it so far in the picks we've made, it's value, value, value over need, need, need necessarily right now. So I actually do think that that's the case. And he, I mean, I think, I think he's spot on with how John Elway would go about doing the quarterback. I don't think Elway really likes the idea of drafting a quarterback. <laughs> I think he'd just rather go, Hey, you know how he got the last Super Bowl winning one, which is go find him on the market. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I'm up now for pick number 10. The Dallas Cowboys are on the board. This draft has gone according to plan for the Cowboys. They need a corner. All of them are still here. So this makes this pick very, very easy. And with the 10th overall pick in the Just End the Suffering podcast mock draft. The Dallas Cowboys taking Patrick Sertan the second out of Alabama. They need a star in the secondary. Ready to play from day one. Alabama guy. Got to make that pick. Patrick Sertan to the Cowboys. Partner him with a former Bama corner, Trayvon Diggs. Yeah. The Alabama reunion, the secondary, Alan. Yeah, I mean... Dallas, Dallas is in a good spot because all of their major needs are defense. And I think this is going to be like, you know, if they, I, I, for Denver, I couldn't decide between Parsons and Sertain, a quarterback never even really entered my head for those reasons. I think where Sertain might fall to other, some of the other quarterbacks is that he's projected to mostly be that, you know, number two covering slash slot cornerback. So I'm thinking he might slip actually, but I think you're going to get one of the more coming out of college polished players. And I think the Cowboys desperately need some discipline on that defense. So I think it's a perfect fit. It is. And well, we're going to the giants who find themselves in a very fascinating spot in our mock draft because Rashawn Slater is gone. Two of the receivers are gone. Two quarterbacks are still here. So at this point, this would be a spot where if you're Dave Gellman, maybe you should trade back. Maybe you should take the chance here. I know, Will, we are not trading here. So we're going to live up to Dave Gallon's reputation, never trading back. So who are the Giants taking at number 11 based on how this bore has fallen for them? So I'm going to say this man has never passed up value in his life. Devonta Smith, former Heisman, just sitting there. I mean, like, there's just, think of it. <laughs> just in general, like you're Dave Gettleman, right? We know how he drafts. The former Heisman is just sitting there like he's not passing that up. And it's not like they wouldn't need him. I think actually I actually think, you know, all joking aside, putting Smith in this offense, you have Kenny Galladay who's kind of that one on one you know, uh, jump ball uh, receiver underneath. You already have Sterling Shepard. But, you know, with Sterling Shepard, no fault of his own. He's hurt a lot. And I don't really know how much longer he's going to be with the Giants. But 
that aside, Devonta Smith put this dude in the slot and he could just tear it apart for this team with Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph. Again, you need to make sure Daniel Jones is your guy. Go get this guy and just say, you know, you, this is right there at Dallas, in my opinion, if they get a guy like this with, uh, you know, best offenses in that NFC East. Now, I know you're a giant fan. So what do you think about this pick? I love it. I love it. I think, you know, Gettleman tries, he does the opposite of getting cute. He does what he thinks is the most obvious thing in the world all the time. And he usually makes his decision a year ahead of time. <laughs> Andrew Thomas, Daniel Jones, case in points. He does not budge. If he sees him sitting there, he will take him. And the defense was really good last year. So it's not like we're so struggling on defense that we can't take, we can't afford to take anyone else or we have to take anyone else. But as a guy who's not sold on Daniel Jones, if he can't succeed with an offense that includes Devonta Smith, I mean, the writing has been on the wall for a while. It's time to just, you know, break that wall down to quote Chris Jericho and start over with a quarterback. This is too good a spot to pass up. And as a Giant fan, I will be ecstatic, ecstatic if they take Devonta Smith here. I will also say Devonta Smith is a good pick here, especially if Slater is off the board. I think personally, if I'm sitting there at 11, though, and I know there's two quarterbacks there in our scenario here, I'm just pulling the phone, calling New England, calling the Bears, saying, hey, what do you want to, what do, you want to do to get up here at number 11? What are you going to give me? I could drop back a couple slots, get another lineman. Maybe he's meant to keep slipping. You don't know. But I would build some assets in here, get some capital. But that's just if, me. I'm not the Gelman. If I'm the Giants and I can trade back, then I'm going to take Elijah Vera Tucker yeah. at one of these later spots. That's how yeah. I would fill yeah. the need after that. So that would be my game plan as a Giants fan. And yes, I've thought about it. So. <laughs> Very obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Dave Gelman will not trade back. He will sit here and take whoever's there. Well, that's fine. If it's Devonta <laughs> Smith, woohoo! If he if he takes someone ridiculous though at the spot, <laughs> I don't know what I'll do. Uh, I I don't know what I'll do. All right, so you're up now for pick number twelve. You're picking for the Philadelphia Eagles here. They traded back from six to twelve. They were hoping somebody would still be here. All the receivers are now gone. What do you think they're going to do here at number twelve? Are you gonna play the song? Yep. <laughs> Okay, with the number 12 selection in the draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select J.C. Horn, South Carolina cornerback. So what's the motivation behind Horn here? Uh, Farley's got too many injury concerns. No one seems to trust his reports. Farley, I would have Farley going to the Panthers if he had a clean bill of health, but he's slipping on everyone's boards. I think if they can't get one of the big three receivers – they're going to trust that second tier later on, and they're going to get someone who's, you know, Hornstock is rising. A lot of clubs think he's going to go mid to first round. So the son of former NFLer Joe Horn, I think, I think, I'll, honestly, I know there's so many good receivers. I think the Eagles need to take defense anyway. So I, I have them taking who is considered the third best, but health wise, the second best corner in this draft. I also think they're open to shop this if their quarterback's slipping. I think they'll be getting phone calls if this is the case. I, I think the Eagles are in such a spot that talent will help no matter what. So they can either trade it or they can take someone to me. They're much worse than a 12. Like they're they They could be a top five team theoretically. And they were, they traded back. So I think, I think you take horn here. And if you could trade the pig, you, you better be getting something good. Cause Eagle fans are not happy with Howie Roseman. No, they are not. And I'm going to be up now. I'm picking 13 for the Los Angeles Chargers, who have been trying to help Justin Herbert by building up a wall. 
We're going to keep building the wall here. We're taking Alicia Vera Tucker out of USC. That has been mocked to the Chargers for pretty much the entire cycle. It happens here. Vera Tucker to the Chargers. They keep building the Great Wall of Los Angeles for Justin Herbert. Makes perfect sense. You have to do it. <laughs> I mean, you can't you can't sit there. And I think everybody who has a young quarterback saw what happened with Darnold, and every team just is gonna just be like, "There's no way we can allow that to happen." You know, it's just it's inexcusable. <laughs> yeah, you have arguably a year from now a top five talent quarterback. Let's oh. not get him destroyed on the yeah. field. Yeah. yeah. All right, and here we are. Pick number 14, Will, is up for the Minnesota Vikings, and they are an interesting spot because who knows they believe in Kirk Cousins long time. They have two quarterbacks on the board here. they got other needs. I think Will would agree is probably a spot that would be definitely pick up the phone if they're having quarterbacks slip this far, but we'll go to Will and see who they are taking since they are not trading in our mock draft. I'm going to say Trey Lance. Just because if this is what happens on draft night, yeah, I had offensive linemen there, but just be going through this, like, doesn't it make a little too much sense for that? This is a guy that people seem to like. Obviously, Kirk Cousins is not the guy there. And if you can get him in the room and do kind of like what the, you know, their division rivals are doing at Green Bay with Jordan Love, like the kid doesn't have to play right away. But if he does, then that's fantastic. That means he's played really well. But I think if this is how it falls on draft night, I think that is exactly what they might do here. Yeah, Alan, I think I agree with this logic here because I feel like this is a spot where you're the Vikings. You don't know if you should rebuild or reload. And you have a quarterback that's got some talent needs to sit behind a guy and learn a little bit. I feel like it's a perfect spot for to him to go. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I think Kirk Cousins is the most overrated big-name quarterback in the NFL. I think he's pretty atrocious at times. I wouldn't want him learning from him, but at the same time, you got to hope that his natural abilities will take over. And I think the Vikings can benefit so much from an athletic quarterback, from somebody who can mix it up with Dalvin Cook, get the ball to Thielen on like on an option or something crazy. That team desperately needs a change of pace. Trey Lance, I think, is the perfect fit for Minnesota. And I've thought this for like three months now. So I, I think it's too good. And he's up, you know, he played up north. He's going to be local-ish for the fan base. I think it's just perfect. All right. It is perfect. And New England up now for Allen, number 15. They are looking for a quarterback. Four have gone. One is still on the board. And he's got some ties because of the Belichick statement connection. We'll see if Allen goes that way with the Patriots pick. In true Patriot fashion, what they want will fall right into their laps without having to move a muscle. Mac Jones, quarterback, Alabama. Will, would, would you be upset if we have to deal with Mac Jones in the division for the next couple of years? Primarily, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all, uh, I have to side with the fact that Belichick's probably going to get it right. And, you know, like this, that's just, yeah, I'm not happy about that. But, hey, if, if this comes to fruition – like, just applaud Bill Belichick, man, because Tom Brady leaves. The dude go, has a terrible year. Okay, oh, guess what? I'm just going to spend all the money in free agency and get some really good players on cheap deals that in a year with a new CBA is going to look like nothing. Here, also, I'm going to get the quarterback who could probably replace Tom Brady. I mean, he's never – listen, he's never going to be Tom Brady probably. That's ridiculous. No one is. But to get a guy like that, oh, man, I, 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 that's, <laughs> that's not good news. <laughs> Yeah, Alan, I think you, I 
think that's probably the fit is logical. Just like I said, again, the Belichick Saban connection with the Patriots Alabama thing. I'm sure he's got all the inside scoops from Saban. And I think this is a spot where Belichick can say, hey, you know, he's got accuracy. He's smart. I don't need the biggest arm. He will be do enough for me to win. He's he's like the definition of a, the Patriot way kind of guy. I personally, I'm not sold on Mac Jones at the NFL level. I think he's going to have more of a Colt McCoy type career arc. Mark my words. But if there's a team who can milk whatever they can out of a guy, it's the Patriots, you know, Cam Newton aside. I think, you know, Mac Jones on the Patriots will be a better quarterback than Mac Jones on the 49ers. So it's interesting. But as a Jet fan, please keep in mind, you're getting a better quarterback than the Patriots are no matter what this year. So you should feel good about that. Yeah, we should. I'm up now. Pick number 16 for the Arizona Cardinals. They have a couple of needs that could be interesting here. I think this is a pick they're willing to move if the right offer comes their way. I think there's some talent sliding down the board, but I'm going to fill one of the needs right here. I think the Cardinals here, they need to find a corner because Patrick Peterson is left in free agency. I think they need to take a shot here. I know the medicals are sketchy. I know he sat out last year, opted out. I'm taking Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech to be a new starting corner for the Cardinals. Cardinals have had a lot of draft luck the last couple of years. They, you know, they fell into Isaiah Simmons. They, they, they were able to get uh, the offensive tackle late. I forget his name off the top of my head right now, but things like this just seem to be happening to the Cardinals. Now, fingers crossed, you know, you want to see the players do the best they can. And this is a big, big asterisk next to Caleb Farley's name. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, the pressure is on there, but like they're sort of in a spot where they're trying to go for upside. I think that's what they're going to do here. Will gets to enter the mind now of John Gruden and enter the Las Vegas Raiders draft room. And that's always an adventure. So let's see what Will has cooked up for us here at 17. So I just think they're going to put that defense already is pretty, pretty talented on the, I would say on the line more so. But I think they're going to go get a linebacker and go get Jeremiah. I always butcher this dude's name. Owasu Karamoa, the dude from Notre Dame. Yep. Just because I think I feel like like that's like a, a Gruden guy. Like just get a guy who's going to go out there, make a bunch of plays, and kind of slowly but surely put a lot of um, a lot of talent on that defense. I know they have the safety Abrams. They've done well with the line. You know, Crosby's on there and so on. So, yeah, I think he's just going to go make it easy. Um, offensively, I'm sure, you know, they feel pretty set on that end. I know the offensive line definitely could use um, some help, but I think for here, play it safe, go defense, because someone's got to try to stop Patrick Mahomes at some point. <laughs> and you also broke up the mock marriage of Owosu Karamoa to the Redskins, to Washington football team. Well, that's been mocked forever. So good job by Gruden to, step, to stop that one. Yeah. <laughs> If it's going to be someone who disrupts something, it feels pretty safe to say it's going to be rude. <laughs> All right. And coincidentally, Allen's back up. The Dolphins are back up again, this time their own pick at number 18. Allen, what are they doing with the other first-round pick? With the next pick, the Miami Dolphins select Jalen Phillips, edge rusher out of Miami. You know, it's it's one of those situations where I feel like 
you, you have multiple first round picks. You got to get one that, you know, you got to be able to afford them both. And, and this is a guy who's really versatile. He, he can either be a four, three defensive end or a three, four linebacker. And I think like, I think the dolphins love versatility. So he's a guy you could slot anywhere on the defense. You know, he's, his stock has risen. He's going to be a hometown guy college wise. I think they're going to attack defense here. So Jalen Phillips. Yeah. Well, I think this is also a spot here with the dolphins where, they could take a big swing here. I know he's got concussion history that's concerning, but if he's healthy, that's a fearsome pass rush on that on that line. Yeah, and it's just the Dolphins have their past about what two years probably, but it's just they've done such a fantastic job of getting talent on that team and filling holes. And they have definitely taken the approach of quantity over quality at times, but that allows you just to take the swings here. And you know, you can you can roll the dice a little bit more, and if it pays off, boy, does it pay off. <laughs> It certainly does. And I'm up now, number 19, for the good old Washington football team. They've had some dreams popped here in this mock draft. They were thought they were going to get a quarterback. They went 14-15. They were get Jeremiah Owosu-Karamoa. He's gone. So with this pick, they're going to fill another need they've had after last year. With the 19th overall pick, the Washington football team selects Christian Darasaw, the offensive tackle of Virginia Tech. They find the heir apparent to Trent Williams. And that's another, you know, you don't have to touch that defense, right? That defense is pretty set. So I think that's just a fantastic pick if you're going to do it. Yeah, I think it's a good pick as well. Very easy, very simple, need filled. Alan, you got, actually, Will's up. He gets a fun one here. He gets the Chicago Bears, who do not get a quarterback, follow them. They stuck with the red rifle, at least for now. Unless, they, unless he does something crazy here, takes like Davis Mills, the sixth quarterback of the first round. Will, what are the Chicago Bears going to do at number 20? I I really wanted to do that. I did. <laughs> uh, just because, like, that name has just been creeping up more and more. But I just, I don't think the Bears are going to do it. Not after what happened with Trubisky. Like, imagine they do it again. So, I'm, I was, I'm saying uh, Jenkins, the tackle from uh, oh, was it Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Just because I think. Again, just get the talent on the line. Go and figure it out. Like, don't reach for a quarterback now because you want a quarterback. This Bears, they have to realize where they are. I hope they realize where they are. Like, just get talent now. Figure it out. Get the get people in the room and, and don't reach for a quarterback again. Because if it doesn't work, I just – I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I feel like if they like Davis Mills, a spot where you trade back, maybe like 28-29, take at the end of the first round. Absolutely. Like, like again, if we were doing trade backs, I don't think they make this pick. (laughs) All right. So we're up now to pick number 21. Allen is on the board here. He is picking for the Indianapolis Colts who had their quarterback with Carson Wentz. They feel like they could use a tackle here after, after Anthony Costanza retired. We'll see if they go that way in Allen's mock. Let's see what's coming up. Yeah, the Colts are going to select Dylan Radunes here. I, if I botched the pronunciation of that last name, I apologize. The tackle from North Dakota State. Link him up with Carson Wentz. It's too good to be true, and it's a need. So I think they're just going to play it safe. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I also think with the way the board falls, the Colts be trying to trade up if they see those two tackles hovering like around those picks, and they try and get up ahead of the Washington and Chicago. Yeah, I mean, I didn't comment on it, but I don't know if Darisol is going to make it to 19. I think he's going to go way before that. So if if that means the Colts have to jump, they might. I think they will. And I'm up now. Pick number 22. Tennessee Titans are here. 
This is a spot where they need to get another receiver here. Corey Davis is now on the Jets. They're going to take one here. They're going to take Kadarius Tony. I believe it's out of Florida. I don't know if it's Florida or Florida State, but the number four receiver in the class. Put him up to A.J. Brown. See what happens here. Kadarius Tony to the Titans. Um, Sorry, I'm typing it. But, yeah, no, that is why I was thinking about that, too, um, when I was going through these and just kind of looking through the mock drafts and so on. But, again, just fill the need. Replace and fill the need. Absolutely. And Will is up now picking for our Jets at number 23. They could use a corner. There's a couple left. They could use offensive linemen. All the edge rushers seemingly here, except for Jalen Phillips. So what are you going to do for the, what do you think Joe Douglas does here at 23? I'm going right to edge and taking Michigan's, this is another one I always mess up, Kitty Pay, right? Is that it? Kitty Pay. Yeah. I know this is like one of those ones where, his numbers don't really necessarily jump off the board and so on. And people, but people, all the intangibles are there, all the, this technique and style is there. Just put this guy on the edge and let him do, do work. Right. I mean, I think you partner him on this defense, a guy like Carl Lawson, you put him on that. end. it's very talented group. If you just add a guy like this to it. And I know, listen, you're a Jets fan, Mike, I'm a Jets fan. Get to the quarterback. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would have no problem with this pick. I mean, I would prefer a corner, but the, I mean, are you taking Greg Newsom here? That's a question I would have. I'm not sure. Like, there's, I feel like they could take a guard in the second round. I feel like that's sort of set in stone here. But I think if you, it, one, when we know they're weak in the corner, but I feel like if you have the potential here to build that pass rush up, and I was a giant fan knows this, they max, that max the fact that the secondary may not be as good. So you can hit the quarterback. It doesn't matter if your corners aren't covering as much. Yep. That's the best way to negate. If he if he defending right if he's yeah. defending in the secondary, <laughs> Alan, what do you think of this pick? If Quiddy Pay falls all that way to the Jets and they don't take him, <laughs> Joe Douglas needs to be fired on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, that's some strong words, from Alan. There, who is up now, picking twenty fourth for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and there's been a lot of talk about running backs going to the Steelers here. We'll see if Allen does that now, number twenty four. The number 24 pick, the Pittsburgh Steelers are actually going to take Landon Dickerson, offensive lineman out of Alabama. I don't see the Steelers jumping for the first round running back. I know, you know, Travis Etienne is really, really tempting, but a franchise like the the Steelers, they, they want to like sure up football plays. And I think they're going to take somebody around the line, an Alabama guy who has experience in big games, who's going to be able to, to help them out, you know, against these brutal matchups coming up with Cleveland and Baltimore. So I'm going to stick with the O lineman. It's not going to be a, you know, the, the, the prettiest pick. It's not going to be the flashiest pick, but it's going to be a pick that they make for football purposes. Yeah, I think it's a solid pick. I like the logic here. Steelers board here, I think, is good for them, Will, because they have both running backs there, Etienne and Najee Harris have Alabama. They have some edge rushers, Aziz Aljawari from Georgia is here. They have options. Absolutely. Like, it's, again, like Alan kind of hinted on, that's just an organization that seems to get it right when they get it right, and when they need the need, they feel the need. So, yeah, I agree. All right, I'm up now picking number 25 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the Ron Lyman has not helped me out much. I had on my list number one guard tackle. A lot of guard tackles have gone. I think they might try and wait until the second round to take it with the first pick of the second round. I think we're going to the wide receiver board here. I think that's probably where we are going. 
And I think we're going with Terrace Marshall out of LSU at a speedster to go with the core weapons that the Jaguars had. Give another Trevor Lawrence another toy to work with. I love that. Yeah. He doesn't get enough justice. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is a you know another slam dunk. Jacksonville needs playmakers. Give Lawrence all the chances he can to succeed because that division is vulnerable, I'd say. So they might be closer than you think. And I do think their defense had a, a worse year than they should have last year. So I think they're going to be pretty set. So get as many playmakers as you can around uh, Lawrence. Absolutely. Pick number 26. Will is up for the Cleveland Browns and – this is an interesting spot because I don't know exactly what the Browns need. So, Will, tell me what they need. So, I've kind of been looking around and so on. Have you been doing this? Because, again, like a lot of the guys, some of the guys that I had down here have been picked. Um, so, I'm going to say they're going to go get a corner with Greg Newsom here from Northwestern. I know they don't necessarily need it, but I think if you're going to go and look at something, go put – Denzel Ward on the other side, partner, get a good partnership at corner here and on the defense and offensively, they don't necessarily need a lot. I thought they did a lot of good there. So that's my pick. I like, I think if this is how it falls on draft night, you want to get yourself a corner, get him. Do you think this is a trade back spot for the Browns? They may see an opportunity to get out of the first round, get more picks again. Yeah. So like most of my picks have actually seen the fall in that way, but again, yeah. Like if they have to make a pick and they like it enough. Yeah, sure. But Again, if, if somebody wants to call up, like they just don't seem like they absolutely like at this spot, how this has fallen, I don't see a guy available that they're dying to have. I might, I think the other one I could see here maybe is Ojolari out of Georgia because I know they signed Clowney for a one year deal. Maybe you have Ojolari learn behind him and then you take his spot in a year. Maybe that's another option. Yeah, that's a good pick too. All right. I, I apologize. Who who did you take for the Browns? Greg Newsom. Newsom, yeah. Okay, so Allen is up now, number 27 pick. Staying in that division, the Baltimore Ravens. We'll see. They have a lot of interesting options here on the board. So let's see what Allen goes with. Oh, just bear with me one moment. I lost the lost something real quick. Okay. The Baltimore Ravens will select Aziz Ojulari, edge rusher out of Georgia. You hinted at him before. I think this is where the Ravens go now. It's a great pick. Classic Ravens pick. I mean, they just lost Yannick Ngakwe. They just lost Matt Judon. Draft their replacement and go. Yeah, it's easy. You don't really ever have to question what the Ravens do in the draft. <laughs> no, you do not. And I'm up now. Pick number 28. I'm the New Orleans Saints. This is an interesting spot because Drew Brees has retired. They have needs. Do they, they could take the flyer here on the quarterback at 28. But I don't think they're going to do that. I think Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill enough. He wants to give him a chance to actually be the quarterback and see what happens here. So they are not doing the Davis Mills thing, although I think I personally would. But pick number 28. Oh, sorry. I am going to go to the linebacker board. I'm going to take Nick Bolton out of Missouri. I'm going to give them a linebacker with that defense. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. Phil- Alonzo hit a homer. That's why I said that sound. <laughs> All right. So, Alan, what do you think of this pick, Nick Bolton, to the Saints? I have no problem with it. They're, they're another team who they're always, it's seemingly they're always drafting towards the end of the draft anyway. Like they, they know how to scout that 1A slash 2 tier of talent. So, I, I think this guy will be a nice fit. I think that team, though, may be drafting a little bit higher next year. Oh, yeah. Interestingly enough, <laughs> I, I feel like they're going to be in the top 15 next year. 
I, I could see it. I think I think Sean Payton's true coaching abilities will be evident in this season. All right, and we are up now at number twenty nine. We are flying along here in the first round. Only four picks left to go. Will is picking for Joe Dalvizio's Green Bay Packers. What are you going to do? Are you going to finally give Aaron Rodgers a first round receiver? So we didn't say Rondell Moore, right? I'm sorry. Nope. I, I keep trying to yeah. So I actually think the way this falls too, it's actually brilliant because you have Devonta. Uh, I almost said Devonta Smith. You have Devonta Adams already, quite possibly one of like the best, probably maybe even the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. That's Rogers a go-to guy. Get a guy like Rondell Moore. I know he has injury concerns, but when he was playing, he was an absolute. Beast. This is like an everything wide receiver. This is the guy that they've kind of tried to, you know, piece it together with a guy like a Lazard, a um, was it um, Valdez Scantling? Like this is the guy who does that stuff. Goes downfield, makes the plays, explosive plays. Smaller receiver, but you can get away with that because again, you have Devonta Adams already. Like, I think this would be a fantastic pick. Yeah, Al, what do you think about this pick? Great pick. No, no, uh, no arguments here. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating pick as well. Good job there. So we make Aaron Rodgers very happy. I mean, he's hosting Jeopardy. He gets a receiver. Good golf season for him, Will. Joe D would be happy too, man. I know they've been dying for a receiver out there. All right, there we have it. Number 30 now, Allen's last pick of the mock here. He's picking for the Buffalo Bills, who are trying to make up ground the Kansas City Chiefs. What do they do in Buffalo? Buffalo Bills will take Eric Stokes, the cornerback out of Georgia. This was a very tough pick for me because the Bills, they're pretty well-rounded, but they actually have a couple holes at cornerback that they need to address, you know, whether it's the slot, whether it's, you know, the the, the second side, whatever it may be. I, I just think, you know, Travis Etienne will be very tempting for him, for them here, but I think he's very similar to Singletary in some ways. So I, I, I think they're going to go with quarterback cornerback and uh you know it's between stokes or asante samuel jr i think stokes is probably a little better but it's tough it's a toss-up here this this was a tough one yeah i think will that's a good call at the corner i think whichever one of them is not there i think it would be a good candidate for the jets at 34 yeah definitely i I, you already have a tradavius so go get another one (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) he needs help he does (laughs) <laughs> All right. I'm up now. My last pick, pick number 31 for the Kansas City Chiefs. This has been a very obvious one. They need help on the offensive line, especially a tackle. They're going to go with the top tackle on the board here. Alex Weatherwood out of Alabama. Number 31 will slide in at left tackle, protecting Patrick Mahomes' blind side. Yeah. I mean, drafting is pretty easy when you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback, but also that means, yeah, after what happened at Super Bowl can never happen again. So go and get him. And, I, and they've addressed the offensive line elsewhere. I think it's a fantastic pick, and it's really the only thing. Yeah, sure, defensively they need something. You literally don't have to touch anything else on offense besides the offensive line. Yeah, that's a fantastic pick indeed. And finally, number 32, Will is up for the defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which they're in a six spot because pretty much everybody came back. And they don't they don't really need a ton, so we'll see what the luxury pick is here at 32. So this one, and and I know actually when I was looking at this, I'm like, gosh, they have like a lot of running backs. Why the heck would they need one? But I think they actually draft one. And listen, 
I'm not going to tell you, like I have Najee Harris down here just because I think the dude is a beast. I think he's the style of runner in that offense that just downhill, mow you down running back, you know, just give him, we saw in New England, like when Tom Brady's up there, Sony Michelle, like Sony Michelle is more of that finesse almost at times where it didn't really work. Najee Harris to me is kind of like that. um, Remember like Ben Jarvis Green Ellis and those guys for the past, just like big physical dudes who just took the rock and got those dirty yards. I think Najee Harris, he goes there and then you get a running back kind of, you know, a cheaper rookie deal for five years because they're kind of doing that weird running back carousel right now. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good that's a good value pick there. I like the option there. I think if I was running the team, I think I'd probably take Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle, because Dalvin Sue is getting up there. He's only on a one year contract. Via needs help on the interior. I think Barmore is the other option there. I think Harris, you can't go wrong with it though, Alan. I I would go, you know, wide receiver. I would give the man of the hour whatever he wanted. <laughs> and you know, if a guy like you know, I think he's still available. Is Rashad Bateman still yes. available? I I think you got to go someone like that. You know, Antonio Brown's up in the air last I checked and you just got to make Brady happy. He's what got you to the dance. He won you the dance. You give him whatever he needs to succeed to make plays. So I would actually go Bateman there. All right. And there you have it. I mean, you can watch the NFL draft on Thursday for about five hours. The first round we did in 45 minutes. (laughs) <laughs> and we got them all we got all the picks right yeah we spoiled the whole draft for you guys so you don't have to watch yeah yeah and pete alonso hit a home run during it so that's great he did yeah you have to hop in the way back machine to see that one though because that was our home run on thursday the 22nd against the cubs so <laughs> you're going to the past and the future in this podcast uh, it might be the present let's hope I, I i don't know what if they have a game next thursday but this is fingers crossed they do not have a game next thursday okay never mind this is like sort of like lost we have flashbacks and flash forwards <laughs> we have the tesseract ladies and gentlemen yeah <laughs> yeah we're not gonna get into marvel yet that's coming up next in the podcast i'm gonna join my buddy dandy martini justin may to break down the end of falcon winter soldier they recap the whole the whole seat shebang there finale airing one day after recording here but it'll be in your ears a couple of days after the season ends but it was a lot of fun doing this podcast. i want to thank you guys for coming on give you a chance to do some plugs will i'll people follow social media keep up some of the stuff you're doing Oh uh, yeah. So I'm on Twitter at will shatter H one. And I'm um, just kind of right now, actually, I'm kind of making a lull. I'm, I'm really focusing on just trying to get some stuff done uh, personally, like an at, you know, like looking for jobs and so on, but I do write for fan cited. I get a podcast out green skies, which you can look that up on anywhere you really get podcasts. And then uh, NFL stuff, uh, you know, some Cowboys, a lot of, actually a lot of Cowboys writing has been coming out for fan cited for me. So yeah, if you're a Cowboys fan, definitely uh, look into that. Right, Alan, how about you? How can people follow you on social media? You have some stuff you're up to. Sure. It's uh, Twitter, Alan, A-L-L-E-N, underscore Austin, underscore. And then on Instagram, Alan Austin Sports. All right. There you have it. Thanks, guys. Really oh, appreciate hey, it. Wait, sorry, sorry. Don't forget to check out American Scene, the podcast where my co-host Ben and I uh, go over movies with American in the title and you know go over their cultural values and, and impact on the country and if they earn that American name absolutely be sure you check that out thanks again guys i appreciate it thank you
All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, wrapping up this week's big supersize episode with a look at the full season of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The All six episodes aired on Disney+. Plus. I talked about the premiere at this guy. He's back with the finale. Dan Martini is here. Dan, how are you? Doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me back. And uh, yeah, happy to talk about this. Very interesting to see what Marvel and Disney did. All right, so the two of us, who is The Falcon? Who is The Winter Soldier? <laughs> I mean, right now, there's, they've obviously, our characters have gotten so many different names and tags and just moving. It, it was just kind of interesting because it's like they took all, you know, in the comics themselves, you know, all of these guys all held the title of Captain America. And, um, you know, it's very interesting to me to see how in just six episodes so many different people held so many different names and characters and and just the mantles themselves so at this point i don't even know i don't know who do you think is the falcon winter soldier it's a a good question i don't i don't know for sure i was curious on your take but we're gonna spoil the hell out of the whole series falcon winter soldier so i'm gonna put the warning up here for anybody who has not finished the series yet All right, you've been warned. If you do not want to spoil the series of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, get out. Go ahead now. And now we can talk about Captain America and the Winter Soldier, as the last title card told us. Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I think Falcon is now retired. Um, I think that they did a nice job. Of, of all the things that I thought this series did, I really do think they did a nice job with Sam, um, you know, becoming that he's always been just an ancillary figure within the whole Avengers scene. He always just had kind of, he was kind of the guy that would provide a little bit of comic relief and, you know, maybe a a scene here or there that was, you know, kind of that deep cut heart to heart with cap, you know, Chris Evans version of captain America. Um, I think they did a really nice job though, establishing him as a, a mainstay in this next phase of the Marvel universe. Um, I think now he is justified um, obviously they went about it by, you know, really building up, you know, making race a big thing within the series itself, um, and showing that, you know, the winter soldier, even, even John Walker's character of us agent is now very much, uh, on board with, um, you know, Sam himself. Uh, I thought that that was an interesting way, you know, two episodes ago, he was the villain and now he's kind of part of the squad. So, um, was it a little rushed? Yes, but I do feel of of all the characters that we got something out of, the establishment of Sam as Captain America is uh, is probably the one real big takeaway. I don't know if this series really did anything for Bucky. Um, you know, I still kind of feel like his story is not really that well told. Um, kind of like where is he going from here? Uh, you know, all we know is that he finished his book. Um, but, you know, what really is next for him? No idea. What did you think about that? I think for sure the best part of this entire series is the way they handled Sam's storyline because they gave you plenty of backstory. They gave you him bonding with Isaiah Bradley, the other super soldier who was basically hidden from history, experimented on. They got him the honor in the museum was great. And I thought the suit, first of all, was phenomenal. I thought they did a good job. It was very reminiscent of the comic suit that Sam has. It's really cool. Yep. And uh, I love like just the way that the goggles are kind of built into the, you know, Captain America is really famous for wearing the helmet, 
you know, that kind of, you know, shields him from that. But he doesn't have the full helmet, but they still establish like the goggles into like the neckline to almost make it look like it's a slip on. So I thought that that was really cool. Um, you know, just in general, I thought that just the design of it was, was very much uh, a, a nice refresh because, you know, we've seen now Captain America with basically, you know, or what is supposed basically three different versions of it. So this is a really cool version uh, of, of the big star. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I couldn't say anything else really about it. I still prefer Bucky's arm. I still think Bucky's arm is like the, one of the coolest looking weapons in all of Marvel. Just, you know, that design. Um, but that's just me. Hey, you and Rocket both love that arm. I, I just absolutely love it. I think it's really, really cool. And uh, definitely Rocket and I would both steal that thing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, we had the big fight scene at the GRC meeting. Sam comes in, saves the day. I think the, the fights obviously were cool. I do think the best part of the whole thing, though, was that Sam is having the speech with to the, rep to the representatives of the GRC there. I thought... Very great acting by Anthony Mackie. Very good job selling this speech. And you could tell that the way it was written that it speaks to more than just him wearing the mail. It speaks to like the role that like black people have in this country. That was a very well written speech. Well delivered by Anthony yeah. Mackie. There, the whole series. The whole series, yes, there was great action. Um, there was violence. I think that it was really interesting. One of the biggest factors that I picked up on was gun violence. Um, we don't really see a lot of like bullet related gun deaths in Marvel uh, or Disney movies really in general. But think about how much gun violence took place within this six episode series. I mean, even Carly being shot in the back twice. Um, really interesting to see that. Um, we're, we're really not used to that to that. So I think that not only was there the political side of Sam now being looked at as an icon, uh, and as somebody to be a leader as a black man and a, and a superhero, but also the, the, the senselessness of gun violence, um, you know, or using guns to, to kill people who are just trying to fight for their own cause, uh, very much speaks to today's climate. So I thought it was a very bold uh, and, and interesting take for Marvel and Disney to make a stance. I mean, you can call it Falcon and the Winter Soldier all you want, but this was definitely a stance on where they see uh, what politicians need to do to move the country forward. So um, I, I, I thought that that was, it was very surprising to me just to see how many people were killed with bullets in this six episodes. Yeah. So the speech also was very pointed from basically Marvel talking to like the real world saying, here's what's wrong here. And Sam's basically pointing out, it's like, Hey, like, there's no difference in power between you, the senator who's running the GRC, or Carly. And if you keep ignoring them, you can't call them terrorists. And you never know. The next one could be doing more things. Whereas you need to listen to people. All that made a ton of sense. Yeah. And, the, the, has that, you know, he said it a few times. Um, has anybody ever asked the question, why? Yeah. You know, why is Carly revolting? Or why are people doing these things? And if it comes back to being able to put yourself in other people's shoes and, and just uh, general equality, but inequality. But um, once again, they made a very interesting uh, series and, and it did feel a little, you know, if we're, if we're going to kind of take a step back from love the, the nitty gritty deal details of it, it felt like a, um, it felt like a, a movie that you had to kind of, obviously break down into individual parts but i did feel like the last episode was very choppy like um 
it wasn't really like smooth transitions through the end. I feel like they just had to, if you watch it again, um, it's like four and a half minutes of this to resolve this issue. Boom. Next whole storyline to finish next door. It felt very, um, like they just had to kind of tell you where they were going because they had opened so many doors and they closed them all very quickly. Is this episode going to be, or this series Falcon and Winter Soldier, is it going to be critical to the future of, you know, the next time that they bring together new Avengers or anything along those lines or um, the next mega collaboration movie other than establishing Sam. I don't really think so. I think that um, they used and the creation of us agent maybe uh, as another super soldier. Um, I I don't know if it's really going to be that thing like, Oh yeah, this was, you know, like the first time you saw guardians of the galaxy or the first, you know, Thor movie, like you're not going to get that feeling from this, but for the, for the really deep cut fans of it, I think it's really cool to get the origin of Falcon as Captain America. That's the one thing that I will really take away. Um, establishing him as a, as a, uh, a, basically as a character without any real powers other than he understands the bigger picture. Um, and he's got a really cool suit to help him along the way. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he's the best part of the series. I think there are issues underlying here. I know it's not one of the highest rated property on Disney plus, but to me, I think two things talking to me was number one, the pacing of this show was off me. Episode five. I'm watching like, this isn't the finale. I mean, we had it, it was structured like a typical finale where you have all the resolve, all this stuff. And then there's another episode after. I thought when I was watching, like, wait, did they give us the wrong episode? Did they give us the finale yeah. instead of episode set five? That was one right. problem. And, yeah, go, and go and, ahead. And that's really where I felt it was choppy. I felt like there were things that they still feel like after the episode five that they needed to resolve in episode six. And I think you're right. Even that end cut scene, uh, scene from episode five, where you see John Walker making his own shield, like that would have been kind of cool to leave us cliffhanger, you know, yeah. to see what's going to happen there. But then they actually resolve it. You get to see his new suit. You get to see, you know, um, the, in, the uh, interaction with Val. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know where they're going to, go with that like how much of that are now are we going to get a whole u.s agent series like they really has tried to establish him and i love the character that wyatt russell plays um but like what's the bigger picture there i think we have a this series did once again great job with sam okay with bucky i i mean i really feel like maybe bucky is just now more humanized um i think it just this series just shows that he's um really back to uh you know kind of being part of the team and not figuring out his own issues. But once again, where they go with us agent, not sure. We'll see. Yeah. Us agent. I'll get to in a minute. But the other thing I thought was badly handled by the series, like the villains themselves, the, the flag smashers, Carly Morgenthau's character, like the movies were never really super clearly established apart from like, they tried to give you dialogue exhibition. didn't make a ton of sense. And I don't know if you've, you have, do you have a PlayStation 5 or 4? You played the new Spider-Man Miles Morales game. No, but I've heard. Yes. I've heard it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, so anyway, the literally the look of the villains and of Carly Morgan in particular almost feels like the exact same as the main villain in Spider-Man Miles Morales. The same kind of like underground group. They're called the underground. Like The main villain in that game looks exactly like Carly Morgenthau's character. And I'm like mm-hmm. sitting there, I'm like, did we do this simultaneously? Did we discuss with each other? Because I honestly, I felt like the video game did it better. Maybe, 
Maybe, but I do think that Carly and the Flag Smashers um, stood for the purpose of injustice, which is the biggest theme in order to establish what's going on. They're really just a metaphor for what's going on in the world right now. And I think that they were the perfect metaphor for this series. And to have somebody like Sam, a strong, you know, black man in America as a leader, um, to step up and speak a voice for those that don't have a voice or don't feel like they have a voice right now. Totally understand that. Um, and, uh, but once again, my issues, and I, I totally get your take about it being very similar to, you know, there have been a lot of villains kind of in, in Marvel, like lesser known villains like that, that um, come from these kind of, you know, alt groups um, that seem radical. But then when you look into their actual reasoning of why, um, you can kind of understand or sympathize with them a little bit. Um, Carly's abilities... And the other, I was confused by the scene. Um, and maybe you can clarify this. I've tried to watch it twice, but so Baron Zemo, obviously, you know, spoiler alert, you know, kills the rest of the Flag Smashers of her crew. When they got into that van, when they were going to be sent to that isolated prison, the security guard says the, you know, uh, one people, one world, or one world, one people, um, tagline to them did you were you under the impression that they were he was trying to help them get away but then baron zemo had set a bomb on the vehicle or what was going on in that scene in your mind i think it's exactly as you read it is that this guy was gonna help them get out and then baron zemo just just one up them by like by killing them before the guy could break him out it felt very rushed um it would have been i i liked the baron zemo sitting in the prison we didn't know where baron zemo went after he was taken away so it's good to know that he's now back in a, an isolated prison. I was under the impression he was in Wakanda, weren't you? I think they said they're taking him to the raft, as far as I remember. Did they say yeah. that? Okay, maybe I missed that portion. But, um, you know, I just, once again, another thing that just kind of poof, out of nowhere, no background, no nothing, just, you know, Carly is now dead. And uh, now the rest of her group is completely gone. I. I, I don't know how I felt about it, but I do understand that, that, that there's that similarity to what was going on with Spider-Man and, and in the game. But don't be surprised if there's other radical groups uh, that are used as kind of looked at as villains, uh, but then we realize the deeper story behind them. Uh, that's a very common theme within all the Marvel comics. Yeah, it's talking more about the actual physical look. They look very similar. Like the video game character looks a lot like the actors who played Carly Morgenthau. That's why I was pointing at and it might be, and it might be just that that they're not planning to use those characters in the Miles Morales the next time that they show him or use him as Spider-Man, and they thought that was too good of a character and a too good of a plot idea in, to just let go and not utilize again. So it could have just simply been that they uh, liked it and they were going to use it in the game, they were going to use it in the show, and that'll probably be it. Who knows? Yeah, it makes some sense. The other thing that sort of popped up out of nowhere, which I mean, I don't love the Rex. I like the thought they did the character, the work they got, the way they got there was very weird, was the idea that now Sharon Carter is the power broker. And all of a sudden she's in pulling the string. We get that she's not doing great stuff in Madripoor, like, but they sort of leap all of a sudden. They tell you the whole series, the power broker is running everything. The power broker is running everything. And then we get a throwaway line that Sharon Carr is the power broker in the finale, which to me, like these, they did not de deliver on the promise there. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of think we all knew that there was she was up to some stuff, especially because they kept showing her with all that high end art and weird stuff that she was got going on out there. It looked like she was kind of running an underground trade or an underground something. Um, so we knew that she had some other plans going on. She never seemed sincere about really wanting to be back in the U.S. and being able to, um, you know, really, uh, you know, go back to her old, you know rah-rah U.S. government type role. Um, I think that she's realized that the world has changed. She's another kid. Marvel did an excellent job in the series of kind of other than Sam and Bucky. We don't know the true intentions of even the characters um, that seem friendly. Um, you know, we don't know. John Walker in this series looked like he was going to turn into the main villain and now it seems like he's doing okay or he's doing his own thing and he can fight alongside these guys um it's the same way with you know with carter as well i mean sharon's uh, an interesting decision to where she's going to go from here what is she going to do with these files of u.s government weapons and all this stuff is she going to continue to be a problem she doesn't have any superpowers so it's like, is she going to hit, hook up with bad people and get herself in trouble? Uh, or is she going to, like, where? They've established all these characters for a reason. So I am really curious to see what they're going to do with them. And, and when's the next time that we're going to see her? You know, where does she play into, you know, what's going to happen with uh, the multiverse of madness and all these other things going forward? You know, because at some point you would assume these storylines are going to re reconnect. So... You know, it, she had a, a cool role, but once again, it seems unlikely that with her mother and everything that's gone on in the past and her relationship with Chris Evans, Captain America, um, you know, I just, I just have a hard time believing that she's now just corrupt. Yeah. So that, that was interesting. Yeah, I think they did a better job fleshing John Walker out in, in the series. I mean, he has the moment where he breaks. He had the iconic image of the series where he kills the Flag Smasher overseas, and we see the blood dripping from the Captain America shield. We had the great fight scene there, and we sort of see, like, he's sort of on an anti-hero path where, like, he's trying to decide, do I want to be a cap just Captain America? Do I want to be something else? And we had the great like, twist and turn in the finale where at first he shows up, and then you think he's a pass up on saving the people to kill the terrorists, and he ends up going back to save the people, and you see him, and then he ends up linking up with the Julia Dreyfus character who gives him the title U.S. agent. And I think setting him up is sort of like a, like a nebulous quantity here. We don't know whose side he's truly on his phone. Yeah, or what his true mission is going to be and whether uh, if he's now taking direction from her, how much can we trust or how much will he trust her? Uh, those two actors together are really fun to watch. And I would watch, you know, a series based off of just them and what's going on and, and to see if she's because in the comics, her character spoiler alert, kind of bounces around. She's known uh, at various points of time as pulling the strings for the new Hydra. And then there's various times when she is just looking out for her own self-interest. So um, not sure if she's going to be along the lines. It's funny that, you know, in WandaVision, we got, you know, Agatha Harkness, who is a essentially a villain but also at the same time could potentially become an ally, a temporary ally, kind of like Baron Zemo. And now we also have, you know, John Walker, who's supposed to be the good guy who potentially could be doing a bad guy. thing. So they continue to create these two-sided characters. 
uh, it leads the it makes writing for them really fun because there's you never truly know what you're going to get. And remember, there's only so many videos and movies and series that they can create. So at some point, they just have to make a decision on how they represent the character. So they, you know, it's not like they have a thousand, you know, versions of, you know, the comic books. So, or different issues and episodes coming out. So, you know, they have to kind of make their choices based off of what they think will move along a narrative. So somewhere there's a whiteboard, Mike, that says like, okay, for this phase, we're establishing, these are the main themes. These are the characters. These are the the good guys. These are the faces. These are the heels. And um, here's how we're going to roll with them. So I'd love to see that whiteboard. Yeah, I, I would too. I think also them getting Julia Louis-Dreyfus and keeping that casting secret for so long is a hell of a pull by Marvel. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I think she's she fits in, uh, and I think she, she can work that role very well. I want to see more of her. I think we need to establish her backstory a little bit more than just these kind of two scenes. We really only got two scenes. Um, and once again, you can do these cool cameo appearances and you can tease them. But if you're only going to give us six episodes, once again, it's hard for us to buy in uh, when you're only going to give her basically two minutes of total screen time. You know, so we know her, we know her face, especially Seinfeld fans. Um, and we like the character that she established herself as. But unless you know the deep cut of the background of the character, why should you care about seeing her again? You know, you, you need to, the character development with these, you know, Disney Plus series is something that I was worried about coming in. And I definitely don't think I'm 100% sold on yet. Yeah, I mean, as far as the rumors go, she's rumored to appear in the Black Widow, which would have been her first canonical appearance, which takes place before any of this. So maybe that's what would have been helpful. Would have been helpful. Maybe we'll see, I'm sure that scene's probably still in the movie. It's probably a post credit, so maybe my guess where we, where she pops up. I think that's gonna be yeah. interesting to see what happens to her. But I think the problem with this series, this series as a whole, is like the backbone of the story is good, but I think there's a little bit too much of Marvel trying to self set up future Marvel projects and not just telling Sam's story. Correct. This this series should not have been called Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, I don't know what you would call it, but it, it should have just been like, um, you know, Captain America, the next phase or, you know, like something like that, because this isn't this really isn't a show. They tried to give us some really sweet moments between, you know, Bucky and Sam, um, you know, Bucky helping him on the boat and bringing his life back together and helping his family doing all those things and them them fighting together and working together so well um but i really don't think it was called falcon and the winter soldier um because first off bucky really isn't the winter soldier anymore so you know it's it's captain america um the the new captain america and bucky barnes <laughs> yeah. like that should have been the name of the show <laughs> so um anyway i just I get that they were trying to develop these things, um, but at the same time, it, it's it. If you're going to do six episodes, I know that we saw some great fighting scenes, some great action. Um, you know, the super serum stuff out there is something that I thought was a really delicate topic to play with, because you know they always talked about the character of the human bringing out the best in the serum or the worst in the serum. Um, you know, yes, John Walker took the super soldier serum, but I don't 
think we truly saw, like I thought about his fight sequences from the first or second episode. He didn't look or do anything really different other than he kind of super punched Carly like once or twice. But once again, that it would have been cool to get more development around his decision to take the serum, um, the effects on his body. Did he notice anything different? Um, you know, now we have another legit super soldier walking around out there. And, um, you know, it, I, I just character development is, is my biggest issue with the series. I'm OK with the main theme and, and some of the other subs, you know, storylines that got a lot of airtime, especially around like Sam's family. But once again, I, I still wanted more. I need to buy into character. Like even, um, you know, Sam's relationship with Isaiah, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, that's a, that's a really cool storyline. And, and it makes a lot of sense for Sam, that being the reason that he wanted to pick up the mantle and not just because Cap told him to pick up the mantle. I like that. Um, but, you know, it was hard to, because we didn't really know the the full background of Isaiah coming into this or that he even really existed within Cap's original universe. So, you know, I, I felt like maybe it was a little bit forced um, and and it would have been cool to know that he was there coming into this as well. So once again, very deep cut, probably comic based. Um, and uh, but just a very, very quick development uh, on that. So. I, I wanted it maybe give us slow the pace down a little bit more, um, establish the villains and give us more airtime there and don't focus so many on the smaller storylines, but then give us eight episodes, something like that. Yeah. I think the issue is that they're trying, it's just, I think it's sort of the problem that Iron Man two runs into with a try, clear trying to set the Avengers up where we're introducing black widow, we're bringing Nick Fury back in. We're doing all the sort of side storylines going on here. It's that it's to take away from the main focus of the plot. I think that's my big issue with the series as a whole. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with I'm okay with a lot of it. Um, do I I liked Wandavision more? I as I said, just coming in, I it was weird when when the first episode came out, I was underwhelmed on Falcon and Winter Soldier. Then when the second and third episode came out, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. It's getting a little dark. It's getting a little different. You know, uh, you know, John Walker's character is kind of stealing the show for me a little bit. Um, and then they kind of got away from him and it got very more back into the political side of things and Sam kind of feeling lost. Um, and, and obviously he needed to take up the shield and, um, there was a lot of closure for Bucky, but I really loved the Baron Zemo scenes. Um, and then it just kind of came to us, you know, you know, that very quick halt in, uh, of the storylines in, in episode five. And I felt the same way coming into six, like, okay, well, what are we going to get here as a finale? Is it going to be an epic big battle or is it going to be at, you know, just, is it going to be a whole episode at the Capitol or wherever it is that they were doing the big GRC, um, you know, convention or is it, are we going to get individual or is that going to be just a small portion and it's going to really lead into a chase around the world to still, you know, lock them down with the flag smash. I didn't know. It was a very slow moving finale for me. Yeah, I think as a whole, I give the series about a B. I think two through four is probably the best stretch of this series. I think those three episodes were great. They did a good job with the finale considering all the weird things they were doing in episode five and sort of trying and set this up. But I think I give it a B. WandaVision is better. It tells a tighter story. It doesn't get into as much setting up future Marvel projects. But I think, Sam, I can't give it less than a B for Anthony Mackie's acting in the series. Yeah, I'm torn. I, I I obviously loved WandaVision. I would give WandaVision like a like a B plus, A minus. I would give it a 
you know, like a 90, um, probably out of a hundred. Um, I would give this, it was a little disappointing. Um, I would, I'd give it probably a B minus. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the only thing that kept it from being a C plus was probably once again, Anthony Mackie was, was really, really cool, really incredible to watch that story develop and to see the suit uh, and to see how he incorporated, incorporated his shield with the wings at the end. I thought that was kind of cool too. So he's got more power than, than like the average human's not going to be able to do all that stuff. So although he doesn't have any technical superpowers, um, it's it's cool to see what he's now got to help him. Yeah, I think it's so. also interesting to see what's happening here. It's, it's this Marvel phase of prop of shows and films in particular, because I forget where I was reading. I don't know if it was either The Verge or Comic, comic Resources. I think I think the interesting thing here is that they're sort of using right now some of these properties to sort of transition away from the original Avengers class of heroes and set, set up the new class. Like this show basically takes us gives us a transition of Sam accepting the mail of Captain America. The next Thor movie, we're going to see Natalie Portman take up the ha- grab the hammer. We have Hawkeye series transition from Hawkeye to Kate Bishop. We have a bunch of these sort of projects. We're sort of setting up like here's the new class, so we can sort of keep the heroes going. So it's a very comic booky way. It's like here's the hero, but it's not the same actor. That we we don't have to pay Robert Downey Jr. seventy five million dollars to be Iron Man. We can set up Don Cheadle have him be another version of Iron Man. Right, and Shang Chi. Right, yep. we just saw the trailer drop for that one. Right. Yep. Um. So that's going to be, he's a really cool character. Um, there's, there's a lot of cool other, there's Moon Knights coming out. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of other series. I would say of all this, the, the, the Disney Plus series that I was kind of excited to, to see the storyline of, I think Loki is still the one that I want the most. And I'm really, I have really high expectations for that. Um, it's, I mean, it's going to be interesting to, to see how, Owen Wilson fits into the Marvel universe. Um, but, um, you know, cause obviously he's a main character in that one, but you know, I, everybody's you're still feel, it still feels like the old Marvel universe having, you know, Tom Hiddleston's, uh, Loki. So I think it'll be really refreshing. I think the order may, I know you and I, on the last time we spoke, we talked about the order that these came out yeah. and that they weren't exact how they were supposed to go. But I think after this one, Loki will be a, a nice refresh because um, this one was very deep, very political, very um, violence based, um, very traumatic. There was a lot of, of deep loss, uh, everybody experiencing severe loss. Um, and uh, I think Loki will be a little bit more fun again. So I would not say this series was fun, uh, but I would say that it was is an important statement from Marvel. And, um, I think it's really cool to have, um, Anthony Mackie is, is an, as an actor that I like watching. So I want to see more of him and uh, I want to see how he potentially takes a leadership role with this whole new class that you've referenced. Yeah. And we also got the big news yesterday that after watching the post credits, like, Oh, they kind of left it open for a season two. We found out, no, they're actually doing a Captain America four. They're going back to the movie with Captain America. Anthony Mackie's be the lead. So, do you yeah. think this is going to be one where this is the only series and we don't see him again until the movie? You think they could do a season two if they wanted? I don't think so. I think they're going to wait till the movie. I think that there's they've got a lot of projects. Um, if they do, I'm very happy to watch it. Um, 
I uh, would be curious to see. Maybe they feel like before the movie comes, they need to establish more of these other characters um, or put in some other reason for Anthony Mackie to now have another challenge in front of him. Um, and to maybe maybe the series makes him start to recruit other people that will then help in the movie. Um, or they just come right out with the movie itself. But yeah, very happy to see that we're going to get another Captain America. And I think it's going to do um, with how the themes that Disney Plus and Marvel worked on here to establish kind of, or really Marvel, but uh, to establish Sam as, as the Captain America. I think it's going to do a lot of what it, the Black Panther did establishing that character as well within the Marvel universe as a male black lead as well. And I think that the two of the, their most important projects going forward will be the next Captain America and Black Panther too, because what they do with those characters is really establish them as leaders uh, very much is with the tone of what we got in this series as well. And I'm all for it. Yeah, I think for sure. I think you're probably right. I think we're not going to see Sam again until a, until a movie. I need to be back on the big screen. I think we're seeing him on the small screen again. I think we'll. Probably, I think the only one we'll see from this series again anytime soon again. I think we'll see uh, John Walker pop up somewhere else. I think he's going to end up showing up and doing something in another show. It could be interesting. It, it, we'll know right away. Also, right, we'll know if there's like some sort of um, they start referencing like a rogue agent, or they start saying like there's somebody out here that's you know, operating or getting, pulling the strings, we're going to know that I oh, better keep John Walker in the back of our mind for a cameo in another one of these series. Um, I don't think we'll see him in multiverse of madness, but I'm trying to think what else could, what other movie could he pop up in uh, before that one? I'm going to have to look at the whole list again. I wonder if he shows up in Hawkeye somewhere. Could be, could yeah. be because obviously, you know, Clint was, very much in tune or, or acted as a, as a government body. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, that's going to be interesting there to see what he can do. And, and um, you know, I, th those two actors on screen, if we get a little bit of Jeremy Renner and a little bit of Wyatt Russell, that'd be a lot of fun. Cause I feel like they would really butt heads. I know the whole series is to set up Kate, but um, I would love to see that. So good call. Yeah, we didn't see what happens there. Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow you on social media? What's some of the stuff you're up to? Well, uh, we're walking into draft week here, so I'll definitely be active on Twitter and be putting out some stuff. So uh, out of town fan pod on Twitter is the best way to find me. All right, Dan. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. See you. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Daryl Slater, for coming on to talk about the locals and do a little NFL draft preview. I want to thank... Alan Austin, Will Snyder, and for hopping on here to do the mock draft. The first ever Just on the Suffering podcast mock draft. That was a lot of fun. I also want to thank Dan Martini for calling on to recap the, the season finale of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Well, definitely an interesting season. I think it's got some good vibes. I'm excited to see if where they take these characters in the future. More good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the New York Rangers, how this season has gone for them. And they still have an outside shot at the playoffs. and need a lot to go their way, but there has been some solid progress there. Check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings as well. Help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow my YouTube page, Mike Phillips, on YouTube. You can check out the individual conversations episode. The mock draft will be up there. My chat with Daryl Slayer will be up there. 
my breakdown of Falcon Winter Soldier with Dan will be out there. Check all those out on the YouTube page as well. Just follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Coming up next week, we have some interesting stuff going on here. We have a lot on the table here with the NFL draft. We're going to do the full NFL draft recap here. We're going to do the fan forum. We're going to check in some fans about how their teams did and more. Until then, have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.